Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. to be the pastor of First Baptist Church of Gray. It's uh, lots of things go through my mind when I say that. I am thankful that y'all come every week. And uh, I, one of the mantras that I try to live by, uh, you will uh, be able to attest yourself that I am not always successful, but I do my best, is that uh, pastors are not supposed to bore their people with the word of God. And I try not to be boring Although I know sometimes that you uh, you endure things that are uh, less than worthy of national tele- television, uh, I'm certain of that. But one of the things that this uh, being pastor has done for me is the the being able to study the scripture like I do, um, getting the blessing of the scripture itself for myself. Um, I appreciate being able to preach, but I can't tell you the the things that, that God speaks to me as I study the word to give to you. Uh, can't put it into words. This is one of those things. I picked out the 100th Psalm a long time ago for a reason that I'll mention to you in just a few minutes. But when I started reading it, I always just start reading the scripture reading it, I'm going to go, well, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> I mean, like, what can you say for 30 minutes on these five verses? And then as I dig into it more and more, I start seeing God open up and unfold this picture. So uh, I hope I hope this morning that God will speak to your heart as he has spoken to mine through this scripture and that you will walk out of here truly... Um, singing to yourself all week that God is so good, all week long. Um, Laura Wright and Joy Carr and I and a number of other people in our community got QPR certified this week. Uh, QPR is a simple method to learn how to help people not commit suicide. Great way to lead out a Thanksgiving service, right? Uh, That's what we did. Teach people how not to commit or how teach us how to help people not commit suicide. Q stands for question. And what the really the focus of this whole certification process was is to get us to have guts enough that when we are talking to someone who who makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck, you know, that that gut feeling that you get that there's something really, really wrong here to get the courage up to simply ask the person, are you planning on hurting yourself? Are you planning on committing suicide? Not, you're not going to commit suicide, are you? Because that ask, that, that answers is always a no. You're asking for a no. You're not planning on this, are you? Well, no, I'm not. Don't ask it that way. You just flat out ask, are you planning on killing yourself? It's a question you throw out there. It takes a lot of guts to ask that question. 
when you ask the question, the person's going to answer either say, no, I'm not, and be lying to you, or no, I'm not, and they're telling you the truth, they're not really planning it, or they might say, yes, I am, that life is at such a point that I don't want to live anymore, I don't see any, I don't see any purpose in it. So once you got the Q out there, the next part is the P, and that's persuade. To me, that's kind of hard, too, because I've got a person that wants to kill themselves. How do I persuade them not to do it? Well, really, while you're doing is persuading them to allow you to help them find some help somewhere, all right? So you're going to persuade them, give me a minute, let's talk, let's, will you help me? Can I help you and do all that so I can refer you, that's the R of the QPR method, that the R is to refer them to somebody that can truly help them get at the root of what's going on. And we've got an 800 number. I think Joy's gonna have some material tonight that if you uh, are interested in this in any way, we got a little card out there. It's got an 800 number. It doesn't go someplace in Washington, D.C., someplace in Georgia, that if, they, if somebody truly needs help, somebody will be there. It's like within 45 minutes or so to help them. So it's, it's, a, good, it's a good thing, this, this QPR thing. Why would we be doing this? Well, uh, Jones County has the distinction of being number 10 in the state in per capita suicide, which is hard to believe. Here we are in Jones County, you know. We make jokes about Grayberry. It's just, you know, Andy and Barney are out there and life's just good and, and this is a great place to live. But the number one cause of death among middle schoolers, middle, middle schoolers, the number one cause of death is suicide. Now, let's level set here. We don't have hundreds of kids doing this out there. But the ones that we do have, you know, kids that are 6 to 12, 13 years old aren't supposed to die in the first place. So what's the number one reason they do die when they do? It's, it, it could very well be that they killed themselves. And that's just unbelievable to me, but it, it's where we are. But the question that that causes me to ask myself, we're going somewhere, the question that that causes me to ask myself is when somebody is, is in that position that, that they think they want to kill themselves, what do we who don't think we want to kill ourselves, what do we know that they don't? What is it that we know that they don't know? One of the first things I thought about, it's an illustration I've used before from the Shawshank Redemption. Such a powerful, powerful moment in that movie. Uh, I would suggest to you, watch the cleaned up version so you don't hear all the language. They've got a cleaned up version, they've got a regular version. And, and in it, Red, who's the one, of the, the one of the main characters in this thing, old grizzled guy, is standing before the parole board. And uh, he's been there a number of times. You can tell. He just don't care anymore. You know, I've been there a thousand times. It's just going to be another little meeting. And he says something along the lines of this. He, he, says, he says, I wish I could talk to that young man who did that horrible crime and tell him, and this is my paraphrase, and tell him that wasn't a destination, Sonny. It was just part of a journey. That, that, that moment where you did that horrible crime wasn't a destination. It wasn't going to last. It was just part of a journey. That's what's missing. 
That's one of the one of the reasons people kill themselves or people self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or infidelity or work or they do all kinds of hopeless and horrible and wonderful things we see every day as a destination. And we don't realize we're on a journey. We see every day as, as an end to all ends. Every day is the day to end all ends. Yesterday bleeds into today, which bleeds into tomorrow. Every seventh day is a Monday. So when we finish this Monday, all we've got to look forward to is seven days from now, we're going to have another Monday. And then after that, we're going to have another Monday. We don't see the journey. We see the destination. We see where we are that moment or where we feel like we're stuck. Back when God was, was just beginning to reveal himself to humanity, God picked a man named Abram, sent him on a mission. This is what scripture says about it. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now I understand the historicity and the theological implications of all of that, but when I read it this time, I heard a message that a little different where I heard God saying, this is your command too. I'm commanding you to go on a journey. We're born, we see many destinations. We see good ones, we see hard ones, we see terrible ones. Some are fantastic. They all seem like the most important thing that's ever happened in our life. They all seem like they're going to last forever, but we're always just passing through. In, in this life, there are no final destinations. Every song is a traveling song. Every sunset foreshadows another sunrise. Lincoln declared the fourth Thursday of November to be a day to give thanks, a day, a destination, like Christmas is a destination. Easter, the 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Graduation Day, Birthday. We treat each one of those like they're a destination. And I don't know if you're like I am, but sometimes when we go through those events, we lean back when, we're, when they're over with just a slight sense of dissatisfaction. There's just something quite missing because we looked at that as the destination when it's really only part of a journey. It's a moment to be added to many, many moments in our lives to make us a full life to get to eternity. When I was 10 years old, I was in the fourth grade at Skyview Elementary School. That was a destination, 10 years old. Thought 10 years old was going to last forever, right? I told you about Miss Brill. She was my favorite teacher of all time. My history of remembering Skyview Elementary School is a bit apocryphal because anything good that happened, I attribute it to Ms. Brill. Now, I was there for six years, and I, I remember some of my teachers. I had, uh, I had Mr. Meadows, and there was Mr. Waters, and Mr. Randolph, and there was Ms. Coleman, and Ms. Anglin. <coughs> Ms. Anglin, we called her bird legs. Um, yeah, we weren't nice, I guess. Uh, Ms. Wren, uh, and then there was Ms. Brill. And Ms. Bavinsky, but of all the teachers I had that I can remember from, from elementary school, if anything good happened, it was Ms. Brill that did it. 
So you school teachers, you, you be that teacher, okay, that everything happens. If, oh, it had to be Ms. Brill that did that. Well, Ms. Brill made us memorize a song. I am not going to recite it from memory because that was like 2,000 years ago and the blood's not going all the way to the top today, so I may not remember it, but I've got it written down here. She made us memorize this song, okay? And here we go. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless him. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. There's two ways that you can look at Scripture. One of the ways that you can look at Scripture, you all know this because we've been studying Romans and you guys are scholars at this point. You understand this stuff. You can look at it as a book of rules that we're supposed to follow. This is God's rule book of how to live a good life. You can look at it that way. Or you can look at it as a love letter of a groom to a bride. Now, if you look at it as a book of rules that you need to follow, these five verses are chock full of rules that you need to follow. We come into worship right now all wrong. We don't. If this is rules, we ain't even close to doing this thing right. Because when he says to come in, he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. That is written for people coming into the temple. So they should be coming into the temple shouting like a bunch of Pentecostals, just as loud as they can shout, as they come, happy shouts, because this is what, the, we're coming to worship the Lord. That's the first thing. They're not Baptists. First thing they were supposed to do, come in making a joyful noise. We should serve in our various ministries gladly, with cheerfulness, even when the two-year-old isn't quite potty trained. He says for us to sing, I did mention to you the 100-voice choir tonight. If you are a rules person, <laughs> let's use guilt. If you're a rules person, you're going to die and go to hell if you don't come to the choir tonight. It's just that simple. I'm sorry. You've got to do it. It's in, it's in the Scripture, Berta. Don't look at me that way. It's in the Scripture. You're going to die and go to hell if you don't come and sing in the choir tonight. Come and sing in the choir tonight. Verse 4 says, enter into the church with thanksgiving and with praise. Be thankful and bless God's name, the psalmist. If this is a rule book, we should catalog these things, and Logan should have these things written down for every Sunday that this is exactly the way we worship every week that comes, if it's a rule book. But if it's a love letter written by a groom, to his bride, what do we hear? We hear the groom reminding us, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century pastor and he said, it is very questionable whether a man can know himself until he knows his God. Well, who is this God? Who is this God that we're to know? The word Lord 
probably shows up in your version of the Bible in all capital letters because that's the proper name. That's the Jehovah name of God. It's the name that when Moses is standing at the burning bush and he's hearing the voice coming out of the burning bush to tell Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, Moses turns to this burning bush and he says, who am I to say sent me? What is your name? And the voice that comes out says, I am. That's his name. I am. Now, killer is, it's a Hebrew verb. Hebrew verbs almost flunked me out of Hebrew. I'm not kidding you. When I took Hebrew in, 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 in seminary, we had issues. If I had not made straight A's until we got to verbs, I would have failed because I didn't do real good after the verbs. It was like F's after that. So it averaged out to a C. Whoop! Still didn't know what I was doing. I had to go back and do it again and then went back and did it a third time before I could finally get it right because Hebrew verbs don't have tense. They don't have past, present, and future. They just have force of action. So you have to understand the tense from what's written. And it's just like, you're kidding me, this is craziness. When God laid his name out, he gave a Hebrew verb. And the Hebrew's, Hebrew verb was, I am. And the reason he said it that way is because he wanted us to understand that he was saying, I was who I was, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, I'm the God of all eternity, I am the God of your journey. Notice with God's name, he didn't give a name that stood for a moment in time. He's the God of all time. He's the God when you're born. He's the God when you die. He's the God of every moment in between. And just because we live our lives sometimes oblivious to God doesn't make him any less God. He is God of the journey. Of every second, of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade of your life, God is. This moment, the next moment, as second melts into second, it melts into second, God is. And here's the point, if you're writing stuff down. I cannot make sense of a world in any other way than to know that God is. I cannot make sense of the world in any other way than to know that God is. Not that there is a God, that implies that he's out there, that I can call on and get him to do things for me, but that God is, that he is personal and imminent here in his children, surrounding us, ordering us, continuing all things. Colossians 1.17 says, he existed before every, anything else and he holds all creation together. The world doesn't make sense without I am. Did y'all see the meteor shower Thursday night? It was a big one. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Luke and I, Luke and I went out to see it. We went out to a very dark place at the house. The clouds opened up. It was sort of cool. We had this big open spot over our head where we could see the sky. And in 30 minutes, you know, it was supposed to be ramping up. 11.45 was supposed to be the big deal, but it was supposed to be ramping up all during that time. Between 11... <coughs> Excuse me, between 11 and 11.30, we saw four, which, okay, that's pretty good, but it's four. I was expecting to see Armageddon, and we saw four. But as we're laying there, or as we're sitting there looking up into the sky, we were talking. And, and y'all remember the picture that the Hubble Space Telescope took? They, they focused the Hubble into one 
place in space so that it pointed toward that and they did this long time lapse photo so it could collect as much light as it possibly could and see as many things as it could possibly see and when they published that picture there was a picture of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of galaxies not stars galaxies it's like there was almost no black space in between each one of these galaxies. So many galaxies out there to see. And scripture tells us, and I believe it with my whole heart, that God is the one that holds all that together. He makes all of it run. He makes every bit of it tick. Well, Randy, what about science? Where do you think the science came from? It didn't come out of thin air. It came because God set science in motion. If you could go to the restaurant at the end of the universe, that'll make sense to a couple of you, to the last loneliest star at the most distant edge of everything, right before you slip into eternal emptiness and blackness, I am is there. And at the moment of conception, if y'all have paid any attention at all in the last couple of years, in vitro fertilization, they have cameras that are set up to watch. And at the very moment, at the very moment the egg is fertilized, at the very moment of conception of a human life, there's a flash of light. I am is there. I am is all points. It is he that hath made us. And not we ourselves. Regardless of the destination we think we're at, the God of the journey is there. He knows before the genetics test, he knows what the result's going to be. Before you have a CAT scan, he knows the results. All of you folks that go to such trouble for gender reveals to make sure that nobody knows what the child is, y'all get over yourselves. God already knew before you ever had, before the baby even got started, what that baby was going to be. He knew that the adoption would happen or would not. He knew that you would be in foster care or not. He knew the miscarriage was coming or not. He knew the diagnosis before you were born. He knew that the person that you loved would die. He knew when you pledged till death do us part that one of you didn't mean it. He knew the job would fall through. He knew the verdict the judge was going to render. He knew that when you said, I'll do it just this one time, that it would mean a lifetime of struggle. He knew because his name Am, and in every one of those apparent destinations, he is the God of the journey. He's not taking us like an airplane from one city to another. He's not an Uber that takes us from one location to another. He's not your car that takes you to school or to work or the doctor or a friend's house. He's the God of the journey. We're his people. With the sheep of his pasture. Now, I don't have any sheep around the house, but I got goats. I don't got goats. The guy up the street from me has got goats. Y'all know I love goats. I love watching these goats. It's just fun. Some of y'all have goats. You, pay, you post pictures of your goats on Facebook, and I sit there like some people do with bunnies and cats, and I look at the goats and go, oh, isn't he cute? And I, was just, I know it's weird, but it's one of those things. This guy's got goats up the street. When, when the goats are hungry, they go to the destination where the, where the farmer has put out the food. When the, when the goats get thirsty, they go to the de- destination where the farmer has put out water. When, the, when they want to play, they go to their play spot. Some of them jump up on the big bay 
hail, bale of hay, and the rest of them go out into the middle of this big field, and they run, they jump, they do all their stuff. When the farmer comes to the gate, they go running where he is, all happy and merry and all that kind of stuff, because the farmer is. Because he is. And he treats each one of them like a goat, the greatest of all time. Every last one of them, because that's what they are to him. And the killer is, is they're grateful because their I am is there and they have no clue all of the things that he's done for them. None whatsoever. They don't know that he's offered protection, that he's put things in their food to, to help them stay well, that he nurses them when they're sick, that he keeps people away, that he doesn't sell them to somebody else. They don't know any of that. All they know is that their I am loves them and that they are the greatest of all time in his eyes. That is our God. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. For the Lord is good. <clears throat> his unrelenting love lasts for the whole journey. His faithfulness, his loyalty never stops. And I know sometimes we get to thinking, but how can this, if he is good, how can he let such horrible things happen to innocent people? And I've got a great theological answer, but this morning I'd rather answer it this way. God isn't the God of a destination. He's a God of the whole journey. Have you ever heard of a guy or a book called Roger of Wendover's Flowers of History? Roger of Wendover's Flowers of History. It was written in 1237. It's a history of England around the time of the Saxons and all that kind of good stuff. I'd never heard of it until this week. In that history, uh, Roger tells this story. He says, the Emperor Henry, which I have no idea who Henry is. The Emperor Henry, while out hunting on the Lord's Day, his companions being scattered, came unattended, which means by himself, to the entrance of a certain wood, and seeing a church hard by, he made for it, and feigning himself, pretending to be a soldier, simply requested a mass of the priest. Now the priest was a man of noble piety, but so deformed in person that he seemed a monster rather than a man. When he had attentively considered him, the emperor began to wonder exceedingly why God, from whom all beauty proceeds, should permit so deformed a man to administer his sacraments. But presently, when mass commenced and they came to the passage, know ye that the Lord he is God, which was chanted by a boy, the priest rebuked the boy for singing negligently and said with a loud voice, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Struck by these words and believing the priest to be a prophet, the emperor raised him much against his will to the archbishopric of Cologne, which see he adorned by his devotion and excellent virtues. A man recognized by normal men as being so deformed in person that he seemed to be a monster so hideously ugly that one would wonder why would God allow him to be a pastor? Why would God allow him to be a priest? One who knew his ugliness 
How many times as he was growing up did lesser people than he remind him of his hideousness? This one who had every right to question the goodness of God instead stands back and says, God is so good. What do the great saints know that we don't? That old man who shuffles and wheezes into church, who sings with a wobbly voice and prays with his head hung low. That woman stoop-shouldered over her walker who steps and slides and steps and slides into her pew, whose voice sounds like a tinny broken reed whose lips move when she prays? What is that young man or that young woman who knows that they aren't the most beautiful, they're not the most handsome, the most shapely, the most buff, they're not the most talented, the most popular or the smartest and yet their laughter rings out and makes the sun shine with joy. What do these people know? They know that the Lord is not the God of the destination. He's the God of the journey. He is good. He is merciful. He is loyal beyond death. He is our Lord. He is the God of the journey. I can't make sense of this world any other way than to know a good and merciful God is in control of my journey and he deserves my thanksgiving and my praise. It's the only way it works. I'm on a journey and one day I'll arrive at God's destination. I beg you to indulge me. As I've read through this and read through this, this one song kept coming to mind and you get to suffer through it. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. Nor path, nor pain, nor death can enter there. I feel like traveling on. Yes, I feel like traveling on. I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. It's glittering towers, the sun outshine. I feel like traveling on. That heavenly mansion shall be mine. I feel like traveling on. Let others seek a home below. I feel like traveling on. Which flames devour or waves overflow. I feel like traveling on. The Lord has been so good to me. I feel like traveling on. Until that blessed home I see. I feel like traveling on. I feel like traveling on. I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling on. You see, I can't make sense of this world any other way than to know that a good and merciful God is in control of my journey. It's the only way it works. Because I know this, I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. I will be thankful unto him 
for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Y'all pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to preach that message for myself. I thank you for pretty words that lifted up my heart. I thank you for the reminder of the goats and that as I get down on myself so many times that I am still the greatest of all time in your eyes because of the work that Jesus did for me, that my brother gave his life so that I could live. And I pray, Lord, that with my life I can I can make you just a little bit happy. I thank you, Lord, for reminding me that you are good and that you're good all the time, that you're the God of the journey, that all those times, Lord, I apologize for thinking that where I was that I'd be forever is always going to be that way. It was always going to be hard. It's always going to be horrible. I didn't have the sense then to know that I was here simply in a valley. But now, Lord, we're on the mountaintop for a minute. We see into the promised land. And we see a land that's bright and fair. And it makes us want to keep traveling on. Thank you for being our God who is in us and with us and by us, working through us every day that comes. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Amen.